This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Thank you, Pastor Rose. So as you can see, I just could not stay away. <laughs> Had to come back to my family. And so because you do it best, no matter all the churches that I've visited since I have been gone, because you do it best, I'm going to do it here. Aloha. Aloha. Beautiful. I'm going to record that into posterity because I got to show them how it's done. You know, so now I can officially say, and I have to do it, um, greetings from the Florida Conference (laughs) and the Women's Ministry Department. Today, it is my privilege to have with me my Administrative Secretary, Claudienne Presentacion. Come, come, don't be shy. This woman has kept me on my toes filled in all the blanks, made sure I knew what I was doing and where I was driving to. She has been, we've been nonstop practically every single weekend. And so, you know, we we were going to do a little plug for the women. July 1 is our, as our second one-day retreat at at, the camp, at Camp Kalakwa, our first one was held at the Florida Conference. So ladies, sign up. The flyer's going out next week for Camp Kalakwa. But we also have our Southern Union Women's Ministries Convention in August in which the Florida Conference is partnering with. You can see, you will be seeing details. I think I sent it out through some WhatsApp, but... We would love your presence there as well. Thank you, Lincoln. This is her husband for bringing her and for surviving with us for these last few weeks of me taking your wife everywhere and being our right hands. And so on behalf of the Florida Conference, we thank you for having us here today. It is so good to be home. The last couple months, I I know people have said to me, but you're still in the area, you haven't moved. How come we haven't seen you? Because the last couple months, every Sabbath has been a different church, has been a different event, either preaching or, or promoting women's ministries. And I, and I must admit that it, it feels a little funny every time we walk into a new place. Because automatically my kids will talk to the elders, uncle, auntie, etc. But they'll only know them for those few short hours and we move on again. And it's, it's hard when you don't have roots yet. So I'm always, I'm so glad to come back to my roots. You have no idea. And it's so good to worship with you. And Let me just say that it is an honor to have been in the lives of two different daughters today. To be able to dedicate one, Leilani, baby Leilani, and to be able to baptize another, 
Tishana. And Pastor Rose, thank you for so graciously allowing me to do that and then take the pulpit as well. So you're awesome. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of coming home. And Father, as we open up your word today, Father, I ask that you be with the words of my mouth and let them truly only be yours, Father. In your name we pray, amen. So gentlemen, just because it's Mother's Day and I, I am pretty positive that I have never yet preached for Mother's Day at Plantation, we've always given the privilege to our senior pastors or, or, or other male um, presenters. And so for the way you're gonna be hearing a lot about women, today, and that's not because I don't love you, but because we must affirm the women in our congregation. And so, just, just pre-warning you. So let's begin from the very beginning in Genesis. I bring you to Genesis 1, Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image. In whose image? Our image. So this is not just God's image, but the image of Jesus and the image of the Holy Spirit. Because when he says, let us make, let us make man in our image, it wasn't just about one person doing the creating. Now he's pointing to the relationship that everybody was now going to make man together. According to our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. You've heard, let us create three times, and you've heard a couple phrases in here said three times, and what have I always said? That when we, when we pre, when the Bible says things in threes, it means what? Anyone remember? Completion. It resembles completion. It is completion. And so then we go, move on to Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper Comparable to him, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he'd call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, birds of air, every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And then the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to him, brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called because she was taken out of man. So we know that mankind, God saved the best for last when he made 
creation. And then he really, really saved the best for last because the woman became his crown in glory. Amen. Amen. Yes. But they were to be together. And there was one rule. What was that rule? You can eat of any tree in this garden except for one. Because if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Can you imagine this garden that had everything in it? Every beautiful thing, every tasty morsel of fruit. Just one teeny tiny, one tree. Just one tree that God said no to. But isn't it just as mankind is that the one thing you can be given a bounty of things and your parent will tell you, but I just don't want you to touch this thing. And as a kid, we want that thing. What is so good about that one thing? If I can have everything else, why not that one thing? Now, does it say anywhere in the scripture that God told them that there would be a serpent to tempt? Did he say, did he describe, there's, did, stay away from a beautiful winged serpent? No, why? Because God gives us free choice. And so we have here in chapter 3, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What is the first thing that he did? Not only he lied, but before lying, he cast out. He cast out on what their father had just told them not to do. You can have everything else, but this one. So what does the enemy do? He, first, he cast out. Hmm. Did he really say that? Did he really say, not that tree? And then the woman said to the serpent, yes, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is the, in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. So she repeats, she knows. She knows what the, the, the requirement was, and she repeats it. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So then he, what does he do? The answer came here. He then lies. You will not die. But then now he puts a little bit of envy. This is what God is keeping from you. Don't you want to know everything? I feel sorry for Eve. being confronted with this beautiful being and all the things that she had been told were now being twisted. And this is what the serpent does. This is what Satan does. He gives us doubt of what God has put within us. 
And then Satan, thank you, I can't crawl. <laughs> thank you. And then he lies and says completely something opposite to what God has said. And then he puts envy and he convinces us that whatever God said was wrong and to try, just touch this, just taste that, just do this, one sip of that beer, one hit of that joint, one look at that handsome, beautiful person, even though you're married, just one is not gonna kill you. But the just one, that first look, that first touch, that first taste is enough to lead us astray. But there's a promise in Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So before we were even thought of in our mother's womb. God was already piecing us together. You know that verse that says, for I knew you in your mother's womb. I knitted you deep in the mystery. So whatever God has a plan for and he created, there is still good despite what Satan might try to put forth. And when we look at the verse for we are his workmanship, other Bible translations say we are his masterpiece, we are his handiwork, but workmanship goes a little deeper. When we, when, when we look at the ones that say we are his masterpiece and handiwork, we are looking at and proclaiming what is created. But when we use the word workmanship, we are pointing to the degree of skill in the creator. We are looking at God's goodness. Workmanship in this verse, it means more than the product of creation. This refers to the degree of skill in which the product is made. You know, you, you, you get a garment and you know which is better, whether, whether the fabric, the stitching is better. You know, once you hold the garment in your hands, you know which is, which is cheaply made and you know which is made with fine fabric. And so, it says, he created us, he created us. When, his, when we're looking at workmanship, we are his creation. All is of value. Nothing that was created before is comparable to the value that we have in Christ because we were made in his image. And in this workmanship, he also redeems us. 
And in this workmanship, he also sanctifies us. And so even though we know the fall, we know that Adam and Eve's eyes were open. God already had a plan in mind because he loved us. Can you imagine the conversation way before time as they're, as they're making, as they're thinking about, about the plans for the world and God says, you know what, I want to make this people and I want them to be a great people who worship, who worship me, who worship us, who live fantastic lives. However, in, in as great as I'd like them to be, they're just, they just might, they just might do something wrong and when they do, son, would you be willing to redeem them? See, his redemption was not only any redemption. His redemption was his only son. That's how much God sees us and how beautiful we are in God's eyes. That he would have a plan already ready to save us. And he has a plan to sanctify us. This is who we are. God uses us. As we say, we are created all very differently, but we are created in his image, and God uses any one of us to fulfill his call and mission. So you might just say, oh, I'm only this, but I'm only that, and oh man, I do not look pretty enough, I do not make enough money, I don't do this, I don't do that, but God made you perfect just the way you are. And when he calls you, no matter how impossible it may be, God will make that way when you answer him. He will make things possible, and you will do things in his name that you would never have imagined doing. Turn with me to Esther. You know Esther's story, I'm pretty sure, by by heart, but let's just go through it. And we know that Esther was an orphan, meaning she had no parents. She suffered loss and tragedy at a young age and was given into, into Mordecai's care. And then she was picked amongst other maidens in the kingdom to go into the king's service. Now, how many of you have seen the VeggieTale version of this? I love it. It's cute. It explains in a good kitty-like way what happens. And I, and, and I remember the scene where all the vegetables are being ushered into this cart and, and, and Nestor's saying, but Mordecai, where am I going? Where am I going? What's going on? He, and he said, just pray and, and God will be with you. And you know, back then, when you research deeper, these young ladies were not just picked and chosen. They didn't have a choice. The palace officials came out, saw, and the ladies were taken to come into the king's service. And in, this king, in the king's service, they learned. They were educated. They were given knowledge, scholastic knowledge. They were taught the, the, the things that happened in royalty. They were taught how to please a king. They were taught many things and then there was a time when they were all paraded before the king 
and Esther was picked. Just think about Esther, a young girl who has been now taken from what she has known, visited by Mordecai every so often to encourage her, and now she's chosen to be queen. What a daunting experience to be chosen to be queen. But there was a purpose in her choosing. She did not know then that she was to save her people. But the news came, and we know Haman hated Mordecai, and there was a plot to kill his life and, and, and to end his life, and that failed. And so his anger grew so that it was not just Haman now. I mean, Mordecai that he wanted dead, he wanted everybody dead on Mordecai's, of Mordecai's people. And Mordecai came to Esther, and he was begging her to step in because her voice could do something. And she explained, I cannot even enter into the king's presence if I have not found favor with him. His scepter must be extended to me. And so she tells Mordecai, to tell the people to pray. Let's start in verse four, verse 10. Esther spoke to Hathach, gave him a command for Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. And so they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told the people to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. Just because you are the queen, doesn't mean that you will not be killed. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, you, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You see, God is the only one who has the power to turn trials into blessings. Because this is where you discover how God works. This is where you discover what you're made of as you stand in faith. So she told the people to pray. And Mordecai was a praying man. Mordecai knew that his voice mattered. He also knew that it didn't just take one person, but it took all of them to pray. Because he knew the power. We can pray by ourselves to God, 
And yes, God will hear, and yes, God will answer. But when we pray corporately, together, as a community, for God to move mountains, God will move faster. Because he see, hears all the people pleading on this behalf. And so after this time, Esther said, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise and I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is how much she was willing to do for her people. She knew that she could die. She also knew who was on her side. Do you remember the saying? In Nebuchadnezzar's time, when the three men were about to be thrown into the fire, and they told the king, if we perish, we perish, but we will still proclaim God. This is exactly what Esther is doing. And so they commanded their people to pray and fast. And now it happened on the third day, Esther 5, that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she found favor in his sight. Imagine Esther, no invitation to come before the king. And no invitation means she will die. But going on the strength of the Lord, she's standing in the outer courts and the king sees her and he holds out that golden scepter. And the king says, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. At that point, she could have said, hey, this is what's going on. Please do this for me. Save my people. But God had put in her a different plan. So she invites him to the banquet. And she invites Haman to the banquet. And then she was going to tell the king the plot to kill her people, but at that first banquet, what happened? She got, but at that first banquet, she got scared a little. And she invited the king to another banquet in which now it was revealed the plan to kill her people. See, God goes with you in the midst of your trials. When God calls you to do the impossible, God will equip you to do the impossible. All God needs is a willing heart to do so. One young woman, as I was preaching about Mary, 
and I was talking about how God called her to bear the son of God, uh, the son, his son. And she came up to me at the end of the sermon and she says, Pastor, every time people talk about Mary, they talk about her great faith. And listen, if I was 14, 15, and some angel came into my room and asked me to bear the son of God, I, I don't think that I could say yes and Pastor, what happens if I say no to God? Does he love me any less? Can he not, will he stop using me if I say no? And what will happen to that plan that he asked me to do? Man, the youth give you some questions that just slay you sometimes. And instead, I was so tempted to just like whoop out my Bible and be like, well, and you know, Lord help me. And I told her, God gave us free will. Yes, you can say no to God. God will always find somebody else to do what he wants done. Mordecai knew that if Esther said no, that someone else from the Jews was going to rise up and carry out the plan. And so I told this young girl, you are free to say yes. I mean, say no if, if you're scared. And you can tell God that too. But that does not end the calling on your life. God will call you to do something else that he knows you can do. And you need to walk confidently in the gifts that he has given you. And so we know now that at the end of this journey, not only does Haman die, but who else dies? All in his plan, all in his family. And then we see in Esther 9, 2, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of, of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all the people. See, God goes with us to fight our battles. God goes with us on the mission that he has called us to do. God uses, ladies, God uses unconventional people in unconventional methods and ways to accomplish an unconventional mission. When we think about the lineage of Jesus Christ, we think about Tamar, who, had, who was refused that last brother, and she had to go a different route to secure her legacy, and she had to dress up as a prostitute to lure her father-in-law to sleep with her, and mind you, this was all under Levitical law because it it followed. It followed the steps because of how it was done. She went through and she preserved her lineage. Was that a conventional way? 
But that began the lineage of Jesus Christ. Rahab was a prostitute who lived on the walls on the outskirts of the city. And she was called to help the spies. And in return for her help, they would offer protection as the walls of Jericho crumbled. Was that a conventional way? No, but that's the second woman in the lineage of Jesus. When we think of Ruth, she had the opportunity when Naomi told her and Orpah, you know, you can go on your way, go back to your relatives. But Ruth uttered those famous words, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then as they traveled to Bethlehem and, and, and made home there, she was instructed to go to the threshing floor where Boaz was and ask for his protection. You can't do this in that time of society. Was that a conventional way? No. But the lineage of Jesus also was there. We look at Bathsheba, who was taken advantage of by a king, who lost her husband, who was impregnated, and then lost that child. But still, was that a conventional way? No, but from her came King Solomon. And then we find Mary, a virgin, who was visited by the Holy Spirit and asked to bear the Son of God. Was that a conventional way? Because if she was found out, she could be stoned. God uses unconventional people in unconventional ways to accomplish his mission should you choose to accept it. God said, I chose you. I created you. I formed you. I have a plan for you that you cannot see plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. Walk in my light. I have gifted you. And where you cannot see, the road will open up. I will guide you through it. This is the God that we serve. Recently, as I tell you, I've been traveling from place to place, church to church, event to event, no weekend has been the same. And I was asked to, <laughs> I was asked to preach and drove a long distance. And this was to be the Easter series of the seven words of Jesus Christ. Seven pastors were chosen. And there was much excitement 
as the inviting pastor would hold meetings for us to prepare for this great day. And I was excited. I had the word on where John was told to look at Mary as his mother. So preparing for this sermon was written. Boys were excited, new place, new city even. So we get to this church, and man, they had it ready. Us pastors were on a platform in one big semicircle, and the preaching started. Between each sermon, the praise team would light it up. And let me tell you, the people, the people were on fire. They were jumping up and down. They were screaming their hallelujahs. And there was a point when I began to think, oh my goodness, as I was looking at my sermon, I thought, my sermon is rubbish. Absolute rubbish. And immediately, if you were to go to the video, you would see as I took out a piece of paper from my Bible and I began revising my sermon. Because this church, you just don't understand. They were on fire. And I remember at Andrews University, I had the opportunity to take a class entitled, and I kid you not, Black Preaching 101. (laughs) And I was going to take it. And I was in the midst of signing up, and let me tell you, the seminary is about 90% black males from all countries and ethnicities. And as I was, and there were, at that time that I was there, there was maybe about 30 of us females. And as I was signing up for this class, one of my colleagues, or several, turned to me and said, what are you signing up for this class for? You are not black. Yeah. So rather, I was intimidated, I admit that now, so rather than signing up, I just silently, okay, well, let's go find another class. Now I wish I had taken that class. Because let me tell you, with every single preacher, they were bringing the house down. We had the audience, the congregation up and yelling and hallelujahing. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, maybe I can jump right here. <laughs> and I can sing a, a couple words right here. And then I can pump my fist right here. Here, and my sermon will be great. But you know, when you've already rehearsed and internalized a sermon that you've already written, that's not going to happen. And I took out my camera. 
You can see this all on video. I took out my camera and began videoing the pastors, saying, I need some tips. So let me, let me video how they just preach like there's no tomorrow. And I began to feel very inadequate. So much so that with each pastor that went, my confidence level kept on dropping until I just wanted to walk off the platform and say someone else can take this sermon. And I texted, I activated a prayer chain with my son David and I said, honey, pray for me because I am really nervous. And the proof of my nervousness was the fact that there was a platter of water for us to pick from and I had drunk through like five already. And he said, mom, you're gonna be just fine. I'm praying for you already. You would think that that would calm me. But the closer it came to my turn, see, this is when the devil steps in and begins to say, you're not worth it. And I truly sat there and wondered, why was I invited? Because you know me, you know me, I don't, I don't jump, I don't sing in rhyme. I don't punch the air. I'm pretty much as I am right now. And the devil was telling me, you should not be here. Why are you on this platform? And I felt like Eve, standing in front of the serpent. As he told her, you will not surely die. And so I was tearing up as it came closer to my turn. In fact, it was the last preacher before me. And I was trying to ah, wipe my tear. Okay, I can do this. And I texted my husband, pray for me because I don't belong here. I am not enough. And he said, honey, you were called here. You were more than enough. And so I got up and began preaching with the same tone as I'm preaching to you now. And perhaps I rely on the call and return from all of you because what I was getting was, amen, pastor, preach the word, but I did not get the hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man, where's that hallelujah? Okay, I'm just going to keep on going, God. I'm going to keep on going. We had to pack a sermon into 14 minutes. And wherever I go, I will always tell how God is in my life. So I did. And my prayer before that sermon was, as unworthy as I feel, Lord, and with, before every sermon, 
I am not looking for the entire congregation to come to you. As long as one person, just one person is brought back to restoration and is brought back to you, then it will all be worth it for me. So the whole thing ended and, you know, everybody, every, all the preachers were congratulating each other and et cetera. We go down into the potluck and then God answered my prayer as different women now began coming to me and asking how, I, how do I deal with grief because their mother, their father is on their deathbed or they passed away already and how could I be so strong and tell them and so I did. And in the car going home, so this is my barometer, right? My children are always my ruler. And I'll ask the kids because they're not going to sugarcoat it for you. They're just going to tell you, yeah, that was terrible. So this is what I always do after every sermon. I say, hey, so how was it? So as we're going back and leaving, I said, so boys, you know, how was it? And there was silence. And David said, I want you to tell me why you're asking me how was it. How was it? And I know I'll tell you how it was, mom, but why are you asking that? And I said, because I felt so inadequate because, did you see, did you see how everybody was just up and praising? And he said, mom, did you not hear pastor when he said that I invited each of you for each of your different styles? It's coming right back to me now. And he said, I saw you videotaping, Mom. Answer my question. Why were you videotaping? Now, I saw you were taking notes. Were you about to change your sermon? Yes. And he said, and were you videoing to take notes to improve yourself? I said, yes. He said, so I was praying against you, and I was telling God, don't let her change anything. Because mom, you are enough. And then my next oldest, Mikey, jumps in. He goes, because I would say, yeah, yeah, but the crowd, they weren't, you know. And he goes, mom, but you weren't list, you weren't where we were, where we were looking around and people being thoughtful in their listening. You weren't in the conversations that I had because I went up to every worship leader, um, pr- worship leader that sang and I said, thank you for what you did, that was amazing. And they in turn told me how you touched them in a different way. And he said, and I said, yeah, so me still, yeah, but you know, I just, I just don't know. And they said, mom, you were looking for all the hallelujahs, but sometimes God can be heard better in the quiet tones. And then Paul steps in with, I don't know what you're crying about. God has obviously made an appointing on your life. And Joshua says, 
Mom, don't change. We love you. It takes a child to lead them. And so I ask you today, how are you teaching your children? Are you teaching them? Are you giving them affirming words of who they are and what they will be in Christ? Are you telling them to affirm others? Are you telling them that they are beautiful in God's eyes no matter what? Because that's what my children were doing to me that day. And God says, your children will rise up and call you blessed. So I learned, as I heard my preaching words come through their voices, as they reaffirmed me and my calling. And I'll be honest, this new position of Women's Ministries Director, my, assist, my admin secretary knows there's already been little things that we've had to, to deal with. And she asked me, why are you holding back? And I said, I just don't want to, I, wa I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt feelings. And she says, Jen, no matter what, if God calls you to do something, feelings will be hurt, but God's plan will come through. You just have to walk in your giftedness so I tell you today God uses all of us even orphaned girls who have suffered and who are told to stand before a king in Genesis 127 it says we are created in his image and in 1 Peter 2.9 it says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light in Psalm 97 it says, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands because in Ephesians 5.8, it says, for you were once darkness, but now are you, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for Luke ends with for with God nothing is impossible ladies moms young ladies you are beautiful in God's eyes you will be equipped to do all that God has called you to do and you will do it well and even if you happen to stumble along the way you allow God to pick you up and you will begin again new in Him the same thing goes for you gentlemen God uses unconventional people with unconventional methods He talked through Moses to a bush and gave him 
a rod that would turn into a serpent to lead his people. What more can God do with us when we are willing to accept the promise of his goodness in our lives and are willing to walk forward in him as he calls us to do his work? Be blessed, my brothers and sisters. Know that you are enough, that you are gifted, you are made in his image, and you are God's beautiful in his eyes. I want to say, if there's anyone here who doubts their calling, I want to encourage you that God's calling you now. If there's one in here who just wants to know God more, now is the time. Now is the time, not tomorrow, not next week. Now is the time to come to Jesus and say, yes, I believe that all you called me to do, I can do in you. And so I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, you have called us for your purpose, Father. With our imperfections and all, Lord, you know us, you knew us before we were formed, you had a plan in place for us, you know ahead of times the trials that we will endure, and you've already set forth helpmates and provisions, Father, to walk alongside and help us to accomplish your task. Father, if at, if at all any one of us are not feeling confident, if we're not feeling worthy, Father, remind us of our worth in you, Lord, that you gave us all because we were created in your image. So let us cling to the promise of a life in you. Let us king, cling to the promise of doors that you will throw open. Let us cling to the promise of all the goodness that we will be, that will be done in your name, Father, through your honor and glory. Revive us again, O oh Lord, in your name. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seven-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.